Uh, good morning. It's good to be with you. And uh, if you would turn your Bible to actually the Psalm 22, the uh, last song, the Spirit moved me to do a different sermon. I'm just kidding. That was Tim's joke, and I thought it was good, so I'd use it. Uh, actually, a couple days ago, I decided to do something different. If you know me, I will do that last minute a lot. And I decided um, to focus on maybe a response to so much loss of life in the world. Um, and so how should we as a church lament that? Uh, and by the way, I am Mike Ford. I'm the RUF campus minister at Arkansas. School started. And um, we have winter conference next weekend. And so thank you to this church for your prayers and support. Uh, I love what I do and who I get to interact with. And so you make that possible. But um, it's, it's Sanctity of Life Sunday, so I was asked to preach on this theme. And um, I decided to do a lament from Psalm 22. And the Psalms are the hymn book of the Bible, of God's people. St. Athanasius said that most of Scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And the reason is because the Psalms give us language to pray these deep longings and emotions to God when we don't always know how. Psalms are meant to kindle and shape our hearts in the right direction, the kind of words that God wants to hear from us. Because, you know, we're emotional people. Some of us, I'll grant it, uh, maybe more than others, okay? There are some people more emotional than others. But we're emotional people, and God knows that. And most of my life, I've been ashamed of it. But God is saying, no, 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 don't give up on your emotions like they don't matter. And also, don't give in to your emotions so they control you completely. But God actually wants to redeem and shape our emotions to have a heart after him. And so he gives us the Psalms to do that. Uh, and today, we'll look at Psalm 22, which is an individual lament. And so um, the primary function of a lament is to bring your, your troubles and your, your troubled situation before the Lord and to ask him for help, to be honest about it and to be hopeful that God will hear you. And um, there's actually one third of the Psalms are laments. That's a lot. And the reason I think is twofold. One is I think God wants to affirm that life is not always how it should be. That y'all have real struggles and real heartache and real loss. And he wants to affirm that. And not all of it is always explainable, right? There's this gap that we don't always understand why it happens. Um, one author said that the wounds of humanity are unanswered questions. The wounds of humanity are unanswered questions. And God wants to affirm that. But he also wants to invite you and me to bring him these laments, to bring him these questions. Remember, uh, the Psalms are his idea. Like He gave them to us. He wants us to come and wrestle and struggle and cry out to him. In fact, 26 times in the Psalms, the psalmist says, why? Why have you rejected me? Why have you hidden your face? Why have you abandoned me? Do you even care? And so God affirms and invites you to ask him why. Um, and so as we read Psalm 22, it's a lament um, of when God feels absent in our loss. When you cry out, then it seems like the darkness is what swallows it up and God never hears it. And this psalm might not give us the answers to the, the whys of all the loss and suffering we experience in the world. But it will give you something. And so um, it will give you something, I promise. It will give you hope. So there's 31 verses of this Psalm 22. And... Um, I'm going to read all of it, so buckle up. I think it's worth it, and I think we need to enter into the psalmist's struggle to really understand what he's going through. And so here's my question as we read it. Why does the psalmist, or excuse me, what answer 
does the psalmist receive to his question of why? He asks the question, why? What answer does he get for it? So with that, please hear the good news of a God, um, a God who meets us in our why. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To, to you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. Ah, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths of me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from, my womb, from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship and before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is God's word. It is absolutely true. It is good and it is given to you in love. Let, let me pray. Lord, thank you for Psalm 22, this lament for all of us who have experienced loss in the world. We think about on this day in which we celebrate life. We pray that you would meet us and minister to us and be present with us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, Walter Brueggemann is this scholar and theologian, and uh, he says that the Western church, that our life with God has really been impoverished.
because we don't really know how to lament. Um, you know, America really shies away from public grief, right? We don't know what to do with it, and it doesn't really fit into the American dream or the version of good life that we have. And we have, you know, the perfectly polished social media profiles to prove it, right? Nobody's lamenting in those. And uh, so I read a lot of books of people who've experienced loss and suffering recently, and because um, I wanted to understand why. And you know, one of the things they do when they lament is they actually have the courage to ask the question, why? They ask it. And I told my friend um, after reading that there are so many seemingly senseless tears in this world. My friend said, yes, but the deepest parts of reality are found in those tears. And um, I read a lot, but one of the famous ones is from a guy named C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, But uh, he wrote a book called The Grief Observed, uh, sort of working through the process of his wife's death from cancer. Listen to what he says. This is near the beginning of his process. He goes, meanwhile, where is God? When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, you will be or so it feels welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face. A sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. Why does he feel so present a commander in our time of prosperity? but so very absent a help in our time of trouble. Um, Do you ever feel like that? That you cry out with your situation of suffering and loss, and you're like, God, why is this happening? And you feel like what you get is silence, like he's not there. Because what C.S. Lewis named is something, I think, uh, that we all feel, and I want to name it for us, that oftentimes in our life God feels absent, that we don't know where he is. We don't feel his presence. And we all experience this differently, this loss, this absence of God, right? Like some of us move to a new city. A lot of students go off to college and God feels absent. Like you struggle, was this the right choice? It doesn't seem to be going well. We struggle with the absence of God sometimes in our parenting, right? Like, are you here helping me with this? In our friendships, we often feel lonely, like no one gets us or knows us. Or of course, the loss of life of a loved one or the loss of a marriage or a miscarriage like there is so much loss that we experience how do you cope with that what do you do with that well god wants and invites you to come to him and lament it c.s lewis's comments i think are thoroughly biblical and i think god gave us psalm 22 as a gift to know how to speak to god in these moments when we don't really know what to say and he gets us to ask the question we all deeply want to ask which is why why God? Which is exactly what Jesus, or, uh, the psalmist asked in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And spoiler, I know I'm supposed to get to Jesus at the end, but um, this psalm is about Jesus. Like, he's the one who asked this question on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which means that on the cross, when Jesus is experiencing the absence of God's presence, he's meditating on this psalm. And he's characterized as a man of lament. And so if you lament and ask God wise, uh, why, you're, you're right in line with Jesus. And so this psalm and Jesus, I want to say, invite us to lament to God in, 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 in two ways. When you feel lost and when you experience uh, God's absence. And the first way is this. God invites you to plead honestly, to plead with him honestly. Um, you know, most of the Bible, we see God's people pleading honestly, like wrestling with God. This isn't just an... Uh, an anomaly here. Like this happens all the time. So you see uh, Abraham in Genesis 18. 
pleading with God in Sodom and Gomorrah. Or you see uh, Jacob in Genesis 35, literally wrestling with God, pleading with him. You see it in Exodus 5 with Moses, where he's crying out and pleading with God. Hey, ever since you showed up, things have gotten worse, God. What's up with that? He accuses God of evil. It's crazy. Go and read that this afternoon. People are constantly pleading. In fact, we even have a whole book called Lamentations for God's people to wrestle with him. He gave us that book. And of course, Jesus himself pleads honestly in the garden. He says, is there any other way, God, to not go to the cross? That, this is a part of the Christian life, pleading honestly. In verses 1 through 18, the first half of this psalm, that's what it's all about, is pleading honestly. I, I want you, us to see this. Look at verse 1. You see, my God, my God. I mean, this is personal. This is intimate, right? You plead with someone when you care about them, when it's an, a personal relationship. And the rest of Psalm verses 1 through 11 is actually this uh, psalm is trying to wrestle with this. His theology, his doctrine, what he knows to be true about God. All things work together for, for those who love him. God is righteous and holy and good. And his experience. I don't feel you at all. I'm suffering like crazy and I don't know why you're letting me experience this loss. And in between that, there's this gap, right? And, and you can see him wrestle with it, right? My God, my God, you've forsaken me. This is my experience. I cry by day, you don't hear me. But in verse 3, yet you're holy. No, 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 you're holy. The fathers trusted you. You delivered them, right? You see that? And then he gets back to verse 6. No, 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 but I'm a worm. I'm a man. I'm scorned. Everyone's mocking me. His experience. And then he gets to verse 9. No, 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 from my womb, you took me. You made me trust you. You've been faithful since my womb. You see that? He's completely wrestling with that. He's pleading honestly and trying to figure out the gap, this, this why. And I think... Um, uh, what, what these questions invite us to ask is, God, do you love me? If you loved me, why would you let me experience this? Um, when you experience loss, I think that's one of the deepest questions we ask. Uh, you know, my wife and I uh, just accepted our first foster placement a couple weeks ago, and it was a newborn baby. So we were getting a lot of sleep, and uh, it's going really, really well. Nobody's making any cranky remarks to each other. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, it was a newborn baby, three days old, and now the baby's 15 days old. And um, we, so we, through the process, and by the way, you can pray for my wife. She got all four ready to go to church this morning. How crazy is that? And apparently the kids didn't even miss me. They didn't even know I was gone until they're getting in the car. And they're like, wait, by the way, where's dad? I'm like, what? Am I, am I that expendable? But we learned a lot about the foster system through this. And what we learned is that what foster children, one of the main things they ask is, Did my, do my parents love me? <laughs> When they're taken from their homes, they're like, why did my parents let this happen? They're absent now. Do they love me? In fact, I've got a student who uh, was adopted from birth and never met his birth parents. And one of the questions he asked was, you know, when my mom was giving me up, you know, did she love me? The question we all have to ask is, deep down, the longing we have is, are we loved? And this psalm gives you permission to ask that. And what starts, us, uh, starts off as a loud cry in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out by day, but you don't hear me. Ends with this soft whimper in verse 11. Be not far from me. Trouble's near. There's none to help. And you know what? It just kind of goes even more south. Because verses 12 through 18, most commentators agree, is this execution. It's this execution. It's this death of the psalmist. Um, you know, there's bulls and lions, 
and tigers and bears are mine. No, there's dogs, there's skins, there's bones, there's garments dividing because he's not going to need them anymore. He's, he's going into the ground. It says in verse, 10, verse 15, there's, he feels like a potsherd, broken pots. That's symbolizing his life. He feels so broken. And in verse 15, he literally says, you, God, he accuses God of this. You are the one who laid me, lays me in the dust of death. And look, this is a weird psalm, right? Okay, this is weird. It's a weird event. And it's not our event. I don't think anyone that's happened to us. It definitely didn't happen to David in his life. And so, again, spoiler, um, it, this is about Jesus, right? Uh, the New Testament Gospels, especially Matthew, equate all these events to Jesus' life. In verse 7, they're mocking him, wagging their heads. Jesus was mocked and spit upon. In verse 16, obviously, his hands and his feet were pierced, right? The cross. In verse 16, it's, or, uh, 17, it says he can count all his bones. When you were flogged, it literally ripped the skin off of you. You could see the bones. You can count all of them. It says Jesus is not one of his bones were broken. In verse 18, of course, um, uh, they divided Jesus' garments, the Roman guards did. And here it says the same thing happened. I mean, this is about Jesus, the truly innocent one who has no reason to experience suffering or anything like that. And yet he's experiencing it. He's in this gap, this mystery of suffering. And you know what happened to him when he cried out? He's crying out in verse 1, and now he's going through an execution. What happened? The silence of death. That's what Jesus got. Death. This must have been what it felt like for Abraham as he's slowly walking his son up to the mountain. Why are you having me do this, God? Or this must have been what it felt like for the Hebrew mothers in Exodus as Pharaoh drowns their babies. Or when the Assyrians and Babylonians carry God's people off to a foreign land, which we read in Jeremiah. And this is what we experience, right? The loss of all these babies who will never see the light of day. Or the loss when we never hear the laughter uttered again from ones that we have loved and lost. Or the loss of a last name in a marriage that didn't last. Or the loss of an engagement ring from Mr. Wright who never showed up. Or the loss of a paycheck from a career that never happened or a future that never materialized, right? What I've learned from this psalm and in life is that for every kind of loss that you and I experience, no matter how big or how small, it is a kind of death. Because it is something we can never get back. And it deserves to be lamented. And that's why we should cry out. And I'm not sure I know how to do that. I'm not sure we know how to do that as a church. But the good news is a psalm doesn't stop there, and this is incredibly important. It doesn't stop with the execution in verse 18. Because the hope of new life can only arise from the ashes of what will never be. Hope is forged through suffering. Look, this is what Romans 5 says. You have suffering, and then endurance, and then character, and then hope. You can't have hope without suffering. That's the point. And resurrection can only find its meaning in death. And so uh, there is this um, lady named Marissa Henley. She uh, is a member of my church in Christ community, and I asked her if I could use this. She actually wrote a book, a short book about her, but she had cancer and didn't expect to live more than five years. And she had prayed and prayed and prayed that, she, that God would let her take Sarah Kate to first grade, her youngest. And uh, miraculously, uh, through the surgery, God healed her. And at the end of the book, it says, on August 18th, 2015, I held my baby girl's hand as she walked into her first day of first grade. Now look, I know that this is not everyone's story. This is not normative in this life. I understand that, and I'm not trying to say that. What I am trying to say 
is that when we have this beautiful picture of resurrected hope escaping the cause of death, we must praise God for it. That this is all of our story, that resurrection is our story. New life is possible in Jesus Christ after death. That's the point. And I think that helps us understand what happens for the rest of the psalm because there's death in verses 12 through 18. And now the psalmist's lips are open and praising God in verse 22. What in the world happened? Resurrection. This is what verses 19 through 21 say. And at verse 21 it says, God, you have rescued me. You've rescued me. You've answered me. That's what it says in the Hebrew. You've answered my cry. And so I've learned another truth of lament. um, That when you experience loss, that we can only really praise God once we have laid the foundation of pleading honestly with him. Once we've actually lamented what's happened. The house not built on struggle or wrestling with God is actually just a house of cards. But then, but then, after you've pleaded honestly, we can actually praise God hopefully. And that's the second thing we see. That after pleading honestly, we can praise hopefully. In the ancient Near East, uh, in Mosaic Law, if God answered your prayer, there's something called a votive offering or free will offering. It was completely free. It was not commanded. It was a free gift of praise to God. And what, what was included in it was worship, two aspects, worship and feasting. Um, and it could last for days. And you can bring people to it. I mean, I think Tim should include that as another thing y'all do, the votive offering. Uh, I would come and partake of that. Feasting for a day sounds great. We can get a Facebook group, maybe a hashtag. No, but there's worship and feasting. Uh, and, and so where do we see worship in our passage? Well, we see it in verse 22, because that's what he's saying. This is a votive offering. He says, I will praise, I will tell of your name to the, to the brothers in the midst of your congregation. I will praise you. All you fear the Lord, praise him. This is a worship service. And this is crazy. Hebrews 2 actually attributes these words in verse 22 to Jesus. Jesus is all up in this passage. They're saying Jesus is the one who said, I will tell of your name to the brothers. So Jesus cries out in verse 1, and then he dies and is executed in verse 12 through 18, and now he's resurrected, now he's speaking again. New life, and the appropriate response to new life, of course, is praise. Where do we see the feast? Well, uh, we see the feasting here in verses 25 on. Especially in verses 29 where it says all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. In verse 26 we see the afflicted shall eat. So who's invited to this feast that Jesus is throwing, this party Jesus is throwing? Everyone. You got the afflicted, you got the meek, and then in 29 you got the prosperous. So look, poor, those who suffer, those who haven't suffered. The economically wealthy, those who aren't wealthy. And just in case you want to find a loophole, in verse 27, he goes, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship you. Here's a caveat. Most of the laments in the Psalms, they curse God's enemies. They curse the wicked. They don't invite them to a feast. Why is Jesus inviting everyone to this feast? I think it's because the resurrected hope is so good and so powerful that God wants to give everyone a chance to have it. He wants to offer everyone a chance at new life. And what that means is I think those, and I've known a few, who have made life-altering mistakes with the unborn, if they trust in Jesus Christ and is in his death and resurrection, they are offered new life. For those of us who judge and hate people in our hearts who have done those things, which is a good thing to be upset about and and angry about the loss of life and lament. God is saying this resurrected life is for you. That all of us who have caused loss of life and who have experienced loss of life, the worship feast is for you. 
the resurrection hope is for you. Because the loss of life has been buried with Christ in his death, but has come up to new life in Christ. If we don't believe in the resurrection, if we don't have the resurrection as a church, then why are we lamenting? We have nothing to cling to, but, but we have the resurrection. We have to cling to it. And we have to share this praise of God with everyone. In fact, even for those who are not born yet. That's what it says in verse 31. She'll be told to the coming generation, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Our lament and praise is even for the unborn's voices who can't be heard. That's the point. So what does this mean for us? I think a couple of things. One is I think that we need to tell our story of loss. I read a lot of books of people suffering and experienced loss. And they lamented it. And, and for all those who trusted in Jesus, they would lament honestly, but then they'd also praise God hopefully. And I think that we need to tell our story. And that's exactly what the psalmist is doing. He's telling his story. And I would encourage you that if you've experienced loss and not really shared it with a friend or someone else, I, want, I would encourage you to share it. I would encourage you to lament it with someone that you trust. I called Marissa, actually, if she'd be okay if I shared this. And we were at Starbucks, and while my kids were screaming in the background for a cake pop, because um, they're very good cake pops they love. Um, and so I didn't catch all of what she said. But I said, do you mind if I share this? And she goes, well, that's why I wrote the book. <laughs> I want to share what God has taught me that it might help others. And I think she's embodying that call of lament because the world needs to hear that it's okay to lament grief and sorrow. But at least to the second point for us, um, that actually the world has so much grief and sorrow that they need to have a place to come where they can lament and get hope. And I pray that the church is a safe place where we can lament our loss, honestly, so that people can come and that's where they can actually get hope. I, I think it's no coincidence that, you remember Jesus and Thomas? What does Jesus offer Thomas? Thomas, you wanna know who I am? Touch my wounds. That post-resurrection Jesus, his identity is still his suffering. It's still the places of his loss. I think that's profound. And I think that the church's identity cannot be marked without identifying with Jesus, who identifies himself as someone who has lost something, who has suffered. So I pray that um, we do that. And I think if we lose the ability to honestly lament in the church, we can't actually represent the totality of the gospel and the totality of who Jesus is. Because the answer to the question, and I'm kind of laying in the plane here, and I know this has been a heavy sermon because lament is a heavy thing and there's real loss in the world. And so uh, for, uh, forgive me if I've stirred things up. I also pray that this psalm will, will comfort you in that and that you, you can comfort each other in that as well. But the answer to the question that the psalmist asked in the beginning, why have you forsaken me? And the whole kind of question of am I loved? Are you there when God feels absent? The answer to that, to that gap, is the suffering wounds of Jesus. It's his story, right? He was forsaken by his father on the cross. He tasted real death. But rising three days later, he emerged from the darkness of unanswered questions as a symbol of hope in our tears. And the psalmist, if you notice, never gets the answer. God never tells him this is why. He never tells Job why. We hardly ever get the answer to the why, right? We never get that. But instead, God gives us a person. He gives us his own son to fill that gap. And the gap of our suffering and our loss is filled with the loving, suffering wounds of Jesus. And so it can't be that God doesn't love you. It can't be that he's not with you because he gives you Jesus in the gap. And as he extends his wounds to Downing Thomas, so we, his church, offer these wounds to catch the tears of the world. That as we plead honestly and praise hopefully, 
Jesus really will one day return and wipe every tear from our eyes. All the tears that have plagued us, he will get rid of. And we know that because in verse 31 it says, he has done it. It's what Jesus cried on the cross. It is finished. That's our answer. That's our hope and our loss. That's the good news of why we can lament. And I pray for all of us that have experienced that loss that you would turn to Jesus and pray those words of lament to him as I've slowly begun to learn to do as well. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for Psalm 22. We, we do experience loss, and you know that. And Jesus experienced that loss. And though we lament in grief and sorrow, we do not lament without hope that resurrection is possible, that there is new life after death. And if we don't have that, what do we have? We don't have anything. So, Lord, let us cling to that. With all the hurting and broken, suffering and loss in this world, and we feel like you're not there, remind us of that truth. Help us cling to it. As we wrestle with the gap, we know that you are there with us in your suffering wounds to prove it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.